What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, something that every child does is they imitate their parents, and this is why we make statements like the apple doesn't far fall from the tree, uh, or like father like son. Uh, and sometimes as parents, we, we think it's really cute when our child is imitating something practical that we do, or something good or sweet that we do. You know, things like you see on this picture of a son pretending to shave, or uh, put on a tie like his dad, or you know, a daughter pretending to put on makeup, or talk on the phone like like her mom. And, you know, sometimes uh, our children imitate us and, you know, we think it's cute and adorable. And then other times they imitate us and we kind of cringe because, you know, they're imitating things that we don't want them to imitate that, you know, we know that we do things that are sinful and wrong and bad and, and they start imitating those things. And then all of a sudden, you know, we don't think it's cute. You know, like when a child uses bad language and you realize they're just imitating something that you have said, or maybe they're shouting at bad drivers in the car and you're realizing they're just doing what you do because you shout at bad drivers in the car or uh, you know maybe they're being disrespectful to your spouse uh, and you realize that they're just copying and imitating the fact that you are often disrespectful to your spouse and so you know children they they imitate us and they imitate both the good and the bad things that we do and we really as parents have the greatest influence over our child's behavior because they they learn from us they follow our example and imitate us and Because of that, when you watch how a child speaks, when you watch how a child acts, you know, that oftentimes reveals a lot about their parents. You you can look at them, and even if you haven't met their parents yet, you probably have some inkling of an idea of what their parents are like. For example, if a child's quite respectful, they have very good manners, they treat people with kindness, it's very likely that they have parents who are respectful, who have good manners, who treat people with kindness. If a child cusses a lot, rude, disrespectful, possibly even violent, it's very likely that their parents cuss a lot, are rude, are disrespectful, and violent. Now, not everything that a child says or does is a reflection of their parents, but a lot of it is. And because of that, many of us who grew up with godly parents, who had parents that were, for the most part, good examples, good people to imitate, we're we're happy, you know, and, and blessed and feel fortunate to have parents like that. And maybe some of you are wishing you had different parents because you recognize, you know what, my parents set a really bad example and the things that I imitated were not good things because they were not doing good things in front of me. And something important for us to understand is, you know, each one of us both have earthly parents and a spiritual parent. You know, for those of us who accepted Jesus, the Bible's very clear that we now have God as our spiritual father. But before we accepted Jesus, before we had a relationship with God and God was our spiritual father, the Bible tells us we had a different spiritual father, and that was the devil. 
And just like our earthly parents have the greatest influence over our practical behavior because we imitate them and, and we learn from them, you know, our spiritual parents has the greatest influence over our spiritual behavior. Whether that be the spiritual influence of God in your life or the spiritual influence of Satan in your life. Now, the reason I've started by sharing about earthly parents and spiritual parents and the influence uh, that they have and how children imitate them is because, you know, we've been looking at this discussion, maybe you might even want to call it a debate, between the religious leaders and Jesus here in John chapter 8. And the main focus up to now has really been who Jesus is and what he can do. But now we're going to see, starting in verse 37, this shift. And the shift is going to lead to the end of this conversation. It's going to be a shift from who Jesus is and what Jesus can do to who is the earthly parent and spiritual parent of the religious leaders and who is the earthly parent and spiritual parent of Jesus. And we're going to have this kind of focus now on who is your father. Now, when I was younger, my brother and my sister, they told me that I was adopted. I believe that actually for several years. And if I really wanted to be sure uh, whether or not I was adopted, I could have had, you know, a paternity test taken. You know, they could have taken my DNA. They could have taken my parents' DNA. They could have come back and told me, yes, you're definitely adopted. But, um, you know, I would have actually found out that I wasn't adopted. And the paternity test reveals, you know, who your parents are. Now, within this debate, that's kind of what Jesus is doing, he's bringing out a spiritual paternity test. He wants you know these religious leaders to understand who their real spiritual father is and also who his father is. And so, you know, this isn't a, a DNA check that reveals who your spiritual father is. Jesus is going to reveal that, no, it's your actions, your behavior. The way in which you live is the test that proves who your real father spiritually is. Yes. Now, the religious leaders are going to make some claims that aren't true. They're going to claim, oh, well, Abraham's our father and, and God is our father. And, and that's who, you know, we're influenced by. And Jesus is going to reveal to them, actually, that's not the case at all. Abraham and God are not your father. And the real reason that I can say that is because your actions have nothing to do with how Abraham lived or God. Jesus is also going to make three very bold claims about himself. And these claims are going to reveal something about Jesus, but even more importantly, they're going to help reveal who Jesus' spiritual father is. Now, as we study through these verses, there are two main things I want you to do. First, I want you to take a spiritual paternity test based on what Jesus is going to share here with the religious leaders in these verses. You see, Jesus is going to share with us 10 marks of someone who doesn't have God as their father, but instead has the devil as their spiritual father. And by implication, the opposite of these 10 things demonstrate that, you know, someone who's opposite of this does have God as their father and does not have the devil as their father. For for example, the first mark of someone who doesn't have God as their father, but instead has the devil, is that Jesus' word has no place in them. But if you were the opposite of that, and Jesus' word does have place in you, then it shows that you are a child of God, as opposed to the other group that is not. So as you take the spiritual paternity test, I want you to, to you know, look at these things and hopefully be confident or maybe discover, you know, who is it that is my spiritual father? Is it God? Am I a child of God? Or is it the devil? 
And if you discover it's the devil, guess what? There's good news. That can change. You're not stuck with that. You don't have to have him as your father anymore. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. And your father spiritually can change to be God the Father. Now, the second thing I want us to do, for those especially who recognize, hey, yes, I am a child of God. God is my spiritual father. I want you to be asking yourselves two very important questions. And I'm going to end with these questions as well, just to really think about it. And these questions are, when people look at your life, does it speak well of your spiritual father, God? When people listen to your words, when they look at your actions, is it clear that you're a child of God? And I want you to be thinking about that as we look at the religious leaders and the claims that they make that do not match their actions. I want you to think about how people look at your life. And when you say, yes, I'm a child of God, does that claim you make match the way in which you live your life? Well, last week we saw that Jesus offered a wonderful thing. He told those that were listening to them that he could give them freedom from sin if they would believe in him and abide in his word and the religious leaders response to this amazing offer was we are abraham's descendants and then they said something quite foolish and have never been in bondage to anyone well now as we pick up in verse 37 this morning jesus is going to respond to their statement about being abraham's descendants and this is where now the conversation shifts He's now going to bring up, okay, well, who really is your earthly father and who really is your spiritual father and also who is my spiritual father? So let's see what Jesus says, starting in verse 37 of John chapter 8. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. The religious leaders just got done telling Jesus, hey, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. And that's why we don't need this freedom that you're offering to us, Jesus. You know, you can keep that because we're descendants of Abraham. And so Jesus picks up on that and he says, you know, I agree you are Abraham's descendants. But here's where you misunderstand something. You're not Abraham's spiritual children. You see, Jesus is making a distinction between their biological heritage to Abraham and their spiritual heritage connected to Abraham. So Jesus agrees, yeah, you're connected biologically to Abraham. You're all Jewish and you have that biological connection, but you are not spiritual children of Abraham. And Jesus gives two reasons why. Well, why is it that they're not spiritual children of Abraham? The first reason is because they're seeking to kill Jesus and Jesus's word has no place in them. Now, it's interesting because just back in verse 31, Jesus told them, hey, those who believe in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And we noted that the word abide means to remain in something, to make your dwelling there. And so Jesus says, hey, to those of you who believe in me, if you remain in my word, you make your dwelling in the truth of who I am and what I've done for you, you are my disciples indeed. 
Well, now Jesus is saying to the religious leaders, hey, my word has no place in you. You know, to those who believe, I challenge them, you know, abide in my word, but I can see from you that my word has no place in you. You do not abide in it. You do not believe in it. You do not remain in it. And this shows that not only that you're not my disciples, it shows that you are not spiritual children of Abraham, but it even shows something more, which is the first mark of someone who doesn't have God as their father but instead has the devil as their father, that Jesus' word has no place in them. So as you take this spiritual paternity test, if Jesus' word has no place in your life, the truth of what he said about himself being God, the savior of the world, if that has no place in you, then God is not your father. But if the opposite is true, Jesus' word does have place in you, then you can be sure that God is your father. Well, Jesus goes on to say in verse 38, I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. Jesus wants to make very clear that our fathers are different. You know, I see and and speak what I've seen from from my father. So what I see from him, I speak and I do. I, I imitate God the father. And you guys are imitating your father as well. You speak from your father. You do from your father. But the difference is my father is God and your fathers will see is someone very different. So Jesus is, you know, helping them understand this very uh, big difference between their fathers. And the religious re- leader's response to this is, well, Abraham is our father. We're Abraham's children, Jesus. Well, then Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. The second reason why the religious leaders are not Abraham's spiritual children is because they don't do the works of Abraham. See, Jesus is making this connection is you will live like and do what your spiritual or earthly father is like. And you're saying, oh, well, we're you know, children of Abraham. And he's like, well, no, you're not spiritual children of Abraham because you don't do the works of Abraham. Well, what's the work of Abraham? If you look through the scripture, it always comes back to Abraham's faith. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And as Jesus said, hey, you're nothing like Abraham because here I am God standing before you and you do not believe in me. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul builds the case for how Gentiles, so non-Jews, can actually be spiritual children of Abraham. He says this in Galatians 3, 5 through 9. Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. 
So Paul's building this case of, hey, you know what? You don't actually have to have biological connection. You don't have to have Jewish blood to be a child of Abraham because a true child of Abraham is someone who has faith in Jesus. That, that's really what it's like because Abraham was one who had faith. And if you want to be a child of Abraham, you as well need to have faith in Jesus. You know, in Sunday school, many of you who grew up in church, you're probably familiar with a song that you sang and maybe you didn't even understand it. Father Abraham has many sons, many sons of Father Abraham. I like the song because then you get right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, and you're jumping around and spinning around. And, you know, that was a part of the song I liked. But growing up, I had no clue of what we were singing. Uh, but, you know, the point of the song is that, you know what, most none of the kids that I was singing with were Jewish in, you know, their heritage. And so their connection wasn't biological. The connection of the song and the purpose of it is, hey, we can be children of Abraham because of our faith in Jesus. And that's ultimately what Jesus is bringing up here is you're not spiritual children of Abraham, you religious leaders. Why? Because you don't have faith in me like Abraham did. So the problem the religious leaders have is they don't have faith in Jesus and therefore are not a spiritual child of Abraham. So this is the second mark of someone who doesn't have God as their father, but instead has the devil as their father. They don't have faith in Jesus like Abraham did. So as you take the spiritual paternity test, if you look at your life and say, I don't have faith in Jesus, I don't have faith in the fact that he's God and that he died on the cross and rose from the dead, then, then I can guarantee you from the word of God, God is not your father. But if the opposite is true, if you say, no, no, I have faith in Jesus and who he is and what he's done for me, then God is your spiritual father. So the religious leaders make this statement, Abraham's our father, and Jesus basically responds by saying, no, he's not. And the reason he's not is because you don't do what Abraham did. Now, as you can imagine, the religious leaders were not happy with Jesus saying that Abraham is not their father. And so, as we've seen many times in this dialogue and debate, they come and they want to attack Jesus. And they're going to specifically attack Jesus' father. Well, if you're going to claim that Abraham's not our father, we got something to say to you, Jesus. Notice what they say in verse 41. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Now, when the religious leaders say we were not born of fornication, what they're implying is that you were born of fornication, Jesus. We weren't born in the same horrible way as you. Now, we know when we're about to celebrate the, the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, the virgin birth. We know that Mary was a virgin, that Mary did not have sex before you know, getting pregnant, that the Holy Spirit impregnated her. But that's a pretty wild story that most of the people of that time did not believe. And so when they see Mary pregnant before she marries Joseph, they believe she had sex with someone beforehand. And so they thought, you know what, Jesus was born out of fornication. And that was you know, what stuck with him and stuck with Mary for you know the rest of his life and now it's being brought up here by the religious leaders saying oh yeah well we know about your father Jesus and your birth we weren't born of fornication like you were so who are you ultimately to talk about our father when the circumstances of your birth are so scandalous well let's see how Jesus responds to this claim but notice even after that, after they, they make that, then they don't even say, well, well, yeah, Abraham's our father. They go, no, we're going to make a bigger claim. God is 
our father. I mean, yeah, Abraham, but we have a, a greater father than that. God's our father. So let's see how Jesus responds to their claim that God is their father. Verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. In this response here, which is pretty bold and in your face, Jesus now reveals three more marks of someone who is not a child of God, but is instead a child of the devil. And the first thing Jesus says, if I, if God were your father, you would love me. Why? Because I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come from myself, but he sent me. So Jesus is saying, if God truly was your guy's father, as you claim, then it would be demonstrated in the fact that you love me because I'm the son of God. The father sent me here. So if you truly had God as your father, then your actions would show it by your love for me, his son. But the fact that you have no love for me demonstrates the opposite. It demonstrates that God is not your father as you claim him to be. So here's the third mark of someone who doesn't have God as their father, but has the devil as their father. They don't love Jesus. So as you take the spiritual paternity test, if you come to the conclusion, yes, I don't love Jesus at all, then guess what? God is not your father. But if the opposite is true and you can say, you know, I love Jesus. He's my savior. He's my Lord. Then God is your father. In 1 John 5, 1, we're told, Whoever believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So what this verse is saying is, first of all, to become a child of God, you got to believe in who Jesus is, but you can't just love the Father. you got to love the Son. It's a package deal, and if you truly understand it, then you would have a love for both because they are one. Jesus goes on to say in verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my words. You know, Jesus has already told the religious leaders, my word has no place in you. And now he reveals the reason they don't understand what he's telling them is because they're not able to listen to the words that he's speaking. Because they have such a prejudice against Jesus, they despise him, they're seeking to kill him. They are now really spiritually deaf to the message that he's bringing. He's bringing truth. He's bringing life. He's bringing a wonderful message of freedom from sin. And they are deaf to it. They can't take it in. They don't listen to it because of their feelings and prejudice and hatred towards Jesus. And once again, this reveals, hey, if you can't hear from me, if you can't listen to my words, it shows that God is not your father because he sent me to bring this message. And if you're not willing to listen, it shows who your father isn't. Notice what Jesus says in verse 47. He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. 
Jesus makes it real clear. If you guys aren't getting what I'm saying here, you know, if, because you don't hear God's word, guess what that reveals? You are not of God. God is not your father. If he was, you would hear me, you would listen to me, but the fact that you don't listen and you don't hear reveals that God is not your father. So here's the fourth mark of someone who doesn't have God as their father, but has the devil as their father. They don't listen to or hear Jesus's word. And this is another part of this spiritual paternity test. You know, do I listen? Do I hear the word of Jesus? Do I accept what he claimed about himself and what he's done for me? And if the answer is no, well, then God's not your father. But if the opposite is true, and it's like, yes, I, I hear it. I listen to it. I believe it. I accept it. Well, then God is your father. Now, up to now, Jesus has been telling them who their father isn't. And they're not happy. Abraham, nope, he's not. God, nope, he's not. If you think they're mad about that, wait till now Jesus transitions to who their father actually is. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. <laughs> but think of this. The religious leaders make this claim. Abraham's our father. Nope, he's not. Well, well, God's our father. Nope, he's not. What are you talking about? I'll tell you who your father is. He's not Abraham because you didn't do the works of Abraham. He's not God because you don't do the works of God. He is the devil because you do the works of the devil. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. You see, Jesus is revealing your guys' actions show who your father isn't. Your actions show he's not Abraham and he's not God, but your actions also show who your father is. He is the devil. And notice something very interesting because some people look at this as like the exhaustive list of, you know, what the devil is. No, Jesus is just bringing up three, highlighting three things, three, you know, very negative things about the devil that are true about the devil. But it's not some exhaustive things. There's many more negative things about the devil. But notice what Jesus says. He highlights that he's a murderer, that there's no truth in him, and that he's the father of lies. Three very horrible things that are true about the devil. A murderer from the beginning. There's no truth in him. He's the father of lies. Well, why bring up these specific things about the devil? Because these are the things that are in the children, the religious leaders of the devil. And Jesus is highlighting these three things to show them, hey, you know who you're actually following? Your dad, the devil. Because guess what they're trying to do to Jesus right now? Murder him. Well, the devil's a murderer. Guess what else they want? They won't believe the truth of what Jesus is saying because the devil, there's no truth in him and these religious leaders won't believe the truth of Jesus. And we've already seen they've lied many times about him. And so Jesus is just bringing up, hey, murderer, no truth, lies. You are following the pattern of your true father, which is not God and it's not Abraham. It is the devil. Now the actions of these religious leaders reveal who their true father is. And it gives us the fifth mark of someone who doesn't have God as their father, but has the devil as their father. They do what their father, the devil, does. So as you take the spiritual paternity test, it's you, if you live like the devil, you do what he does, guess what? He's your father. God is not. But if the opposite is true and you do what God the father says and does, then he is your father. Jesus goes on to say in verse 45 and 46, but I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? 
And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? You know, the devil's the father of lies, but you could call Jesus the father of truth because everything he spoke was true. He's saying, I'm giving you the truth, but you won't believe it. And then he has a bold statement. Which one of you can convict me of sin? Which one of you can come up here and say one sin that I've ever committed? I mean, who could actually say that besides Jesus? I mean, I surely couldn't stand up here and say, which of you can convict me of sin? I mean, my wife definitely could point out many of them. I'm sure you know most of you could bring up something that I've done. So none of us can say, which of you can convict me of sin in a statement that would be like, none of you can. But Jesus can make that statement because he was sinless and he's trying to draw them forth of saying, hey, I'm speaking the truth. I'm a sinless person. I'm making these claims, but you won't believe me. You won't believe the truth. Why? Because your father doesn't believe the truth. And it shows that your father isn't God who sent me to deliver this truth to you. So here Jesus reveals the sixth mark of someone who doesn't have God as their father, but instead has the devil as their father. They don't believe the truth of Jesus. Did you take the spiritual paternity test? Hey, do I believe the truth of Jesus, the truth of who he claimed to be God, the truth of what he did for us on the cross? The answer is no, I don't believe it. Well, then God is not your father. But if the opposite is true, yes, I believe the truth of Jesus. I believe the truth of who he is and what he's done. Then God is your father. Now, the religious leaders are definitely not happy. (laughs) First of all, Jesus says, Abraham's not your dad. God's not your dad. Your real dad's the devil. And so now they want to come and attack Jesus once again. Notice what they say in verse 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? Yeah, the religious leaders just got done saying Jesus was born of fornication. And now they want to take it another level. Okay, well, fine. If you're going to dare tell us that our dad's the devil, well, guess what? You're a Samaritan who's demon-possessed. That's what they're saying. But understand what they're saying, because Samaritans were the people group that were one of the most despised of the Jews and hated of the Jews. And so when they call Jesus a Samaritan, they're lumping him into this despised, hated group. But it's not just a Samaritan. It's a demon-possessed Samaritan, which is kind of like the worst it can be. But it's also, you know what? They're putting this out there as well, because there's a crowd listening to Jesus. And Jesus has just said, you guys have the father of the devil. And the crowd's probably like, oh. What? Religious leaders' father's a devil? And so they want to discredit Jesus as much as possible. And they're like, well, well, Jesus, you're a demon-possessed Samaritan. And we all know that you don't listen to a demon-possessed Samaritan because Samaritans are horrible. And if they're demon-possessed, they're crazy. And so they're kind of trying to discredit Jesus so that no one would dare listen to what Jesus has just said about who their real father is. Well, let's see how Jesus responds to their accusation that he's a demon-possessed Samaritan. Verse 49. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. So Jesus responds just with a quick denial of what they claim. I don't have a demon. But notice he doesn't harp on that or go into more detail. He gets right back to what he's been focused on. Who is their father and who is my father? So no, I don't, I don't have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Jesus is demonstrating, hey, God's my father because I honor him. And if whoever's your true father, you're going to honor them. And they should recognize that because it's one of the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Who you honor should demonstrate who your true father is. And Jesus is saying, I honor God. 
but you guys dishonor me. And what Jesus is bringing out in this is your dishonor of me is a dishonor of God, which once again shows God is not your father. You know, the word honor means to revere, greatly esteem, have high respect for someone. But these religious leaders, they were not willing to give Jesus the honor that he deserved as God. They weren't reverencing him, esteeming him, respecting him, giving him that right due that he deserves, which is the seventh mark of someone who doesn't have God as their father, but has the devil as their father. They dishonor Jesus. So as you take the spiritual paternity test, if you dishonor Jesus, you don't revere him, you don't give him the respect and reverence that is due to him, God is not your father. But if the opposite is true and you do honor Jesus, God is your father. Well, now we come to verse 51 where Jesus makes the first of three very bold statements in this conversation. And this statement is quite bold. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. I mean, Jesus has already said a lot about his word and what his word can do, and it's been quite powerful. But now he says the most bold statement of all. If anyone keeps my word, the result of that is you will never see death. Now, just imagine listening to that and hearing that and thinking, what are you talking about? We keep your word and it will keep us from seeing death. Now, when Jesus speaks of keeping his word, he's speaking about the word that he has just spoken of himself. He's already made clear who he is. He's already made clear of what he can do. And one of those things is, you know, freedom from sin. If you will keep this truth of what I claimed, it will enable you to never see death. Now, here's something we need to understand. Jesus is not speaking of physical death. He's speaking of spiritual death. He's not saying, if you believe in me, you're going to physically live forever. He's saying, no, you're not going to see spiritual death, which is the worst death of all, which is connected to the eternal judgment of God in hell. Jesus says something similar to this in John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So there Jesus is making the same statement of, hey, you know what? You believe in me. You're not going to taste death. You're going to pass from death to life. You're not going to come into judgment. That's the ultimate thing of the spiritual death that you would face. But here's the problem of the religious leaders. They don't keep Jesus' word. And this is another real revelation of who their father is. It's not God, it's Satan. And this is the eighth mark of someone who doesn't have God as their father, but has the devil as a father. They don't keep Jesus's words. So that's another part of our paternity test. You know, if I don't keep Jesus's word, if I don't hold to it, believe in it, trust in it, well, you know what? God's not my father. But if the opposite is true and I do keep his word, then God is my father. Well, let's see how the religious leaders respond to this quite bold statement of, you know what, keep my word, you won't taste death, see death. Verse 52, 53. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham's dead and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? 
So the religious leaders hear this very bold statement of Jesus, and then they come back, and they've already said, you know, you're a demon-possessed Samaritan, and now they come back and they say, well, now we know for sure that you're demon-possessed, that you're crazy, because you just made such a crazy statement. Abraham died, the prophets died, those are the ones that we look to as some of the greatest of our, you know, people, uh, and you're claiming that you, if someone believes in you, they won't taste death, and these guys have died? But what are you talking about? Who do you claim to be, Jesus? Are you claiming to be greater than Abraham? Are you claiming to be greater than the prophets? Who do you make yourself out to be? That's a great question. They're not going to be happy with the answer, though. Verse 54. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now before Jesus answers this question, it's a good question of, hey, you know, who do you make yourself out to be? He comes back to what he's been talking about. Who my father is versus who your father is. And he says, you know, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It's my father who honors me of whom you say that he is your God. Before I claim who I am, I want you to know this. The father honors me. And that demonstrates that he truly is my father. I don't just honor myself. My honor comes from him. And then if you've missed it, my father is the one that you claim is your God. You claim because, you know, he's not your God, but this is the one that I'm speaking of is my father. And Jesus goes on to say, you don't know him. I know him. And if I say I don't know him, I'll be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. So once again, Jesus is wanting to show the difference. Hey, I truly know I have an actual intimate knowledge of God the father because he is my father. You guys don't know him at all because he's not your father. And if I were to claim he wasn't my father, I'd just be a liar like you guys are because you're claiming he is your father when he's not. And so he is my father. He's not your father. You don't know him. And this is the ninth mark of someone who doesn't have God as their father, but as the devil as their father. They don't know God the father. So as you're doing this you know, spiritual paternity test, guess what? If you don't know God as their father, he's not your father. If the opposite is true, yeah, I know God the father, then... He is your father. Well, in verse 56, Jesus makes his second bold claim. He says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now think about that. The religious leaders just asked this question, Do you think you are greater than Abraham? And in this claim, Jesus is answering that question with a, Yes, I do feel that I am greater than Abraham, but I'm not the only one who thought that. Abraham himself thinks that I am greater than he, because he rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now, when did Abraham see Jesus' day? He lived a couple thousand years before Jesus came to this earth. So if you're listening, you're thinking, you know, what are you talking about here, Jesus? Well, I believe Jesus is referring to the story in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham just rescued Lot, and he comes and he meets this person who comes on the scene and just kind of disappears off the scene quickly as well. He's a king named Melchizedek. 
Melchizedek means king of righteousness. He's from Salem, means peace. Now, the key to Melchizedek, we're told he has no mother, no father, no beginning, no end. Who does that sound like? God. Melchizedek accepted a tithe from Abraham, which is something that God does. Uh, He's referred to, uh, well, what we believe, uh, it's a term called a Christophany. It's an earthly appearance of Jesus before he appeared as a baby in Bethlehem. And so when Jesus says, hey, Abraham actually saw me and and rejoiced in it. I believe he's speaking of the fact that I came and appeared to Abraham as Melchizedek back in Genesis chapter 14. If you want to know more about that, you can listen to that uh, whole chapter's teaching online. John 8.57, let's see how the religious leaders respond to this statement of Jesus. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? The religious leaders are just baffled by this statement. I mean, you actually have the audacity to say that 2,000 years ago when Abraham lived, and you're not even 50 yet, that you somehow saw Abraham and he saw you? I mean, who do you make yourself out to be here? How can you claim to have seen Abraham who lived so long ago? Well, they're definitely not ready for the answer that Jesus is going to give them, because now he's going to make his third and most bold claim of all. You know, are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than the prophets? How in the world can you claim that you and Abraham have even had some kind of connection or seen each other? Well, notice what Jesus says in verse 58. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. When Jesus calls himself, I am. He's using the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush when Moses says, you know, what should I tell the people of who sent me? God says, tell them I am sent you. And from that point on, that was a name in reference to God. We ever say I am, everybody knew that's speaking of God. That's the title and name of God. And the religious leaders are very aware of that name. And so when Jesus says, I am, actually when he says before Abraham was, I am. He's not just saying I'm God, but he's bringing up this reality of I am the eternal God. I existed before Abraham. I'm not even just saying that I was there when Abraham lived and spoke with him. No, no. I was there long before that because I am the eternal God. Now, the response that the religious leaders are about to have to this bold statement, it shows they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew exactly what Jesus was claiming, that he was claiming to be the eternal God. And notice how they respond in verse 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Right when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, they start grabbing stones to throw at him. Why? They want to kill him. And in the Old Testament, hey, if someone claimed to be God... You would kill him by stones. Throw stones and kill him. And they're thinking, how dare you make this claim? You are not God. How dare you claim to be God? They knew what Jesus was saying, and they're ready to kill him right there in the temple. But it's not God's timing. God still has six more months for Jesus to you know, live and, and do ministry. And so you know, he kind of just walks out. You know, we're told he hides and gets out. There's different thoughts as to what happened. It's kind of irrelevant as to exactly how he did it. The bottom line is he gets away from there. He leaves. They're not able to kill him. But they wanted to because he claimed to be God and they did not believe that he was. And this is the 10th mark of someone 
who doesn't have God as their father, but has the devil as their father. They don't believe that Jesus is God. And even worse than that, they want to destroy him. They want to kill him. So as you do the spiritual paternity test, if you say, well, I don't believe Jesus is God, and I'd love for any thought or any you know things about him to be destroyed, well, guess what? God's not your father. But if the opposite is true, I absolutely believe that Jesus is God, and I want him to rule and reign not only in my life, but in this world then yes, God is your father. So as you take your spiritual paternity test and you've concluded, you know what? I look at this list and I believe and I'm confident God is my father. Well, I want to just finish with two questions that I posed at the beginning just to really think about, put into practice as you leave here. When people look at your life, does it speak well of your spiritual father? When they look at you, you know, do they see, you know, hey, there's a reflection. There's a clear reflection that you are a child of God. When they listen to your words and, and look at your actions, is it clear you're a child of God? Now, one of the reasons it's so important for us to live in a way that reflects who God really is, that reflects what God is actually like, is because this world has a different father, the devil. And they need to recognize, you know what, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, that they don't have to be bound to their spiritual father for the rest of their lives, that they can be freed from that and get a new father, God. But you know what? They look sometimes at Christians and there's no appeal to leave their father and go to another. Because they think, man, if that's the way you live your life, I don't want what your father has to offer. And that's the sad reality where we should be a magnet. We should be drawing people. They should be looking at our lives and seeing how different it is because we live in a way that coincides with what God tells us to do. And they think, man, I want that. My father is horrible. I want your father. And if we live in a way that we should live, as the word of God says, they will see our good works and glorify our father in heaven. That should be what we desire. I want, I want to help you make the transition. I want to help you understand that you're not bound to Satan for the rest of your life, that you can be free as I've been freed. You can have a new father who can rescue you from slavery to sin, who will adopt you and who will take you for eternity with him in heaven. But you know what? The way we live, the way we speak, the way we conduct ourselves with family, with friends, with co-workers. You know, that's a huge part of getting that opportunity for someone to listen. Getting that opportunity for someone to look at your life and say, man, there's something different about you. You know, why do you live this way? How can you respond to hardship like this? You know, how do you have that peace? How do you have this or that? And that we then get that wonderful opportunity for someone who's actually seeking to be able to communicate the gospel and who God is and what he's done for our life and what he's done for their life as well. So I want to challenge you, if you look at your life right now and you think, man, I am not representing my father very well. The way I speak, the way I live, and people look at that, you know, that's not a good representation of my heavenly father. Then don't be content with that. Ask the Lord to help you change because that's what he wants to do. He wants you to represent him. You are his ambassador. You are someone he wants you to go out into the world and live in a way where people can see you reflecting him. And so if you're struggling in certain areas, I just encourage you, come to the Lord. Ask for him to change in that. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we can use that title 
that we don't just call you God, we don't just call you the man on the throne or, or anything of that nature, Lord, that you have enabled us to have such an intimate relationship with you. That you could have just saved us. We could have been your servants, but yet you made us your children. You adopted us into your family. And we have one of the greatest privileges of all to be able to call you our father. And Lord, we are just thankful for that. We're thankful for the work that you did. We're thankful that you sent your son to pay the price for our sin so that we could have that relationship, so that we could be called and be adopted as your children, and that we could have brothers and sisters in Christ, that we could all have the same thing in common, a relationship with you. And Lord, we are just so grateful for what you've done. And I just pray, Lord, because I know in my own life, and I'm sure all of us can say that there are times that we just don't represent you well. And I pray that you would help us, that you would help us in our words and our actions, Lord, that you would help us, especially among those who don't know you, to really think about how we're representing you, Lord, and that you would help us grow in those areas where we struggle with sin and temptation, where we struggle with just being like the world, Lord, that we would be okay with being different. We would be okay with, you know, demonstrating what you are like to a world that so desperately needs to see that, Father. And so we just ask for your help. We ask that you would just make us more like you today, that we could leave here changed, Lord, that you would just do a work in our hearts, do a work in our lives so that we could be better children, representatives, ambassadors for you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>